0: Oh my gosh, how can we live in a society where this is what happens mm-hmm. to people? How can we live in a society where there isn't enough food for people? And then I got older and I realized it's not that there's not enough food. Mm-hmm. It's about who gets the food. Exactly. And it's about also how much who has the luxury to mm-hmm. throw away perfectly good food. Mm-hmm. And I just saw such an injustice in that. Forget.
1: Hello, and welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to culinary queers. I'm one of your hosts, Robin, and I'm here with Sarah. You're looking bright and shiny and beautiful today. You struck me when I walked in. I was like, but then we started talking, so
2: I didn't get a chance to say it. But you're like shining today. Oh, that's so nice. I mean, I think I definitely am realizing that my life is better this year than it was last year. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I think that, um, I think I'm starting to get a couple things or like feeling like things could be a bit more within my control. And I actually kind of hate using that word because I think that's actually part of my issue, but just a little bit more, I don't know, having just a little bit more mastery and Mm. agency Mm -hmm. over my routines, and my life, and just a better pace of yeah. things. Balance. Yeah. 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 Some better balance. Is that tie into your fuck yeah today? Yeah, it does. I, so oh, I got gifted, well, Andrea and I actually together got gifted the book, You're a Badass. Mm. I know we're super late to this game. Jen Sincero. I then purchase the book on audiobook because I don't really read books very often. Mm -hmm. I listen to books more than I sit down and read them. Right. And buying the audiobook, it's the 10th anniversary edition because 2023 was the 10 year anniversary of that book coming out. Wow. So I thought it was,
1: this is a problem with getting old. Yeah, (laughs) is that everything like 10 years ago does not feel like 10 years ago at all.
2: Yeah. 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 You know, like I said, I'm super late to the game. And also there's been numerous times where I am like, has Robin read this book? No, because there are things that come out of her mouth that are things that you have said, whoa, a lot of the concepts that she writes about are not new to me. Things like meditation, mm-hmm. having not only just a positive attitude, but talking about yourself and the things that you want to do in really positive ways and manifesting from a place of it's already happened. Mm-hmm. Like it's available to me. Mm. It it just is a matter of like the timelines aligning, right? Uh, yeah. Or it coming to me. The only thing that I don't super resonate with is I have some mixed feelings about the law of attraction. Mm -hmm. I think it's been kind of bastardized in Mm -hmm. new agey culture. I don't think it totally takes into account the fact that we do actually all have really different privilege that we go out into the world with. But generally speaking, she's not super... um, proselytize about anything Mm -hmm. and she speaks about things in this really simple just straightforward way so one thing that I've already been incorporating which has taken me so long to get here Hmm. just doing five goddamn minutes of meditation every day oh my god it seems impossible and that's like my fuck yeah is that she said it in this way of this is an opportunity to connect mm. with source. Mm. Your energy and source energy are one and the same, mm. and you get to ground in to that utterly benevolent source and just set a timer for five minutes. Oh. And there's just something about that framing of it that it's like, I've sort of known for a long time that I have a big block around this. Mm -hmm. And that whenever I do engage in mindfulness or just am really intentional about my practices, that I feel better. Yes. And doing five minutes of meditation every like the thing is, is I'm trying not to set a goal for myself to make it more than that. Yeah, because I think a lot of people are like, and then you do eight minutes, and then you do 10 minutes, and then you're doing 30 minutes a day. And when I think about that, I suddenly get overwhelmed. Yep. But I'm doing my five minutes. Mm -hmm. And it really is making a difference. I love that. And I I want to stick to it.
1: Oh, that's so great. Now now I'm inspired. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm trying to stay in my body since mm-hmm. I was put recently back into it. So it's like, I'm, that would be a great thing because it is like, oh yeah, start with five and then you'll build up to 30 or whatever. But it's not even about that. Just the five
2: is worth it. Yeah. So just That's do the I'm five. That's what I'm experiencing.
1: Yeah. Just yeah. do the five. And then naturally, if you... If it's natural for you, you'll do more. But just the five is beneficial. I love that, that your meditation as a way, because I always was like, oh, it's about like clearing your mind and all this stuff. Now I have a much deeper sense of what that means. But it's like really connecting back into your body, bringing yourself back into the source you know, the cosmic source is inside of you if we're not just constantly running around dealing with human shit
2: all the time. Yeah, well, and like this idea of being in relationship with source, like I think that it's been something that's been a little lacking for me, particularly in the last year. Like, I think I've had to... Over the pandemic, I learned some habits that were really good for me and really kind of taking a step back from hyper-productivity. And then last year, I had to take this – job that I really needed because working for myself, I had gotten into more debt than I was comfortable with. Mm -hmm. But it was a very demanding job that really was not in alignment with my natural rhythms, Mm -hmm. patterns, in some ways, my values. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of having to just shut some things off to make it through. And this idea of five minutes a day where you reconnect and remember that we are all in relationship with the world around us, I think it's just something I really need to feel like I'm actually acting from a place of my authentic passions, needs, desires, mm-hmm. rather than kind of beholden yeah. to something that's out of my control. Yeah. Yeah. How do you define source? I think I use, I mean, I think for some people it's God. Right. I think I use source and goddess energy Mm -hmm. kind of interchangeably. Like I think of Mother Earth as being a, for me, it works to think of it as a feminine energy. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that works for everybody, but I do. I think of it as being kind of the universal laws. Mm Mm-hmm the stardust that we're all made of, higher powers, source, goddess. Those are kind of the words that resonate with me.
1: I love that. And I really love
2: the use of the word source.
1: I'm going to start using that because like the God goddess thing does feel too gendered for me. Mm -hmm. And then the um, saying like the universe Mm. feels a little woo in a way that is like kind of cliched. Yeah. Even though it's probably true. And source mm. implies what we all come from. Yeah. And I like that connected idea. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think it's going to help me to feel more connected. Yeah. I think I need that right now. And speaking
1: of gifts to the world, cats coming on today.
2: Yes. So we had... um your longtime best friend Mm -hmm. on the podcast and now we're gonna finally have my longtime best friend on the podcast Kat McIver head chef lead chef owner of Wide Eyes Open Palms in Long Beach which is a farm to table restaurant Mm -hmm. and Kat is just my femme sister love I love her so much Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to, we've been threatening to talk about food. Mm-hmm. And so now we're going to do it. Yeah, we're going to air our food issues. Yes. I will say
1: since I've been reconnected with my body, food has been a lot more pleasurable. Mm. Like you, when you were like, would you like some tea? And I kind of yelled yes, <laughs> was an accident because I would really like some tea. <laughs> and it's a newish experience. So it's kind of. I'm looking forward to this and reengaging and being enlightened about food. I'm very food ignorant,
2: oh yeah,, yeah. yeah. no cat has a really wonderful relationship with food and a lot of intentionality around it, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm interested in talking with her about is how she's built her business. And just her whole kind of life around being really thoughtful about where you source your food, how you prepare your food, what you put in your body. Mm -hmm. So I think this is going to be a good one. Yeah. I need this right now. This is good timing. Yes. Get her in here. Yeah.
1: you made it. Thank you for driving all the way up from Long Beach, which feels like so far away sometimes. So close and yet so far. Mm,
0: yes. Yes. I feel that. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Uh, Long time listener, first time guest.
1: <laughs> oh, Then you must know about the warm up questions.
0: I mean, I have a sense of it, but I'd like to let's be surprised.
1: OK. What's the last picture on your phone?
0: Oh, I don't. I didn't know this was going to be a question. I have to look. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Everybody does. Nobody knows. We <laughs> take that many photos these oh, days. No.
0: Oh, this is a good one. Yay. I thought it was going to be like a picture of the interior of a fridge or oh. something. Because that's <laughs> like the three pictures before it. But it is this um, wonderful shot of Angie laying my... Oh. my partner, laying on the couch in like a big fuzzy sweatshirt and oh. my cat doing a ridiculous pose on top of her. Oh. It, it needed to be documented. That family portrait. Yeah. A lesbian yeah. of you, <laughs> right?
1: Thank you. <laughs> You're like, well, it's really gay. <laughs> yeah. I'll share it though. <laughs> um, what was, who was your first celebrity crush?
0: Oh, yes. I did think about the celebrity <laughs> crush question and... I think I realized um, my first celebrity crush was actually kind of a a crush on a couple. Um, and it was Danny and Sandy from Greece. Uh, uh, I've known for a great. long time. Yeah, I have a thing for like feminine blonde, mm-hmm. you know, just like I, I go for it, like that kind of classic, you know, typical like all American blonde, Girl, like I just I I like it, but then paired with the John Travolta, that you know classic like fifties masculinity. Yeah, I I would come home from kindergarten and watch that show that that movie on VHS like every single day. I was just obsessed with it, and I think that movie had an element of like. You know, the bad girls, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved when Sandy did her transformation and she's wearing the skin tight <laughs> pants, yes. and smoking a cigarette. Um, yeah. So I think it was from a very early age. I was like, I like all of this.
1: <laughs> I love that when people have the couples
2: that they crushed
1: on. Like Sarah, yeah. you had that. Yeah. Basic, yeah. 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 What was
2: yours, Sarah? I don't remember. Well, Leonardo DiCaprio, but really it's Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet Mm -hmm. in Titanic Mm -hmm. was the first thing that I remember. And it's that butch feminist of it all.
1: Now it gets personal. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) What was your first mode of masturbation?
2: Yes. First
0: mode of masturbation. It's been really nice listening to other people talk about it because I think I always felt like I was really early But my first mode of masturbation was definitely a pillow, like pillow humping. That was. Yeah. yeah. A specific pillow? Um, Like just like a a large, you know, like a regular, like, you know, a pillow for my bed kind of thing. Like it it was like I was small, though. And so it was kind of like similar to my size. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's like a full body kind of like Mm. hug kind of thing
1: I love that yeah it's like like yeah hug humping (laughs) (laughs) very cute yeah right
0: it was definitely like kind of cuddly with the pillow so is that
1: question um made you feel like more valid in your early humping experiences that when you've heard other people answer it or yeah yeah
0: Yeah. no I think that I had this idea for a long time that I was like some sort of like um yeah just like abnormally sexual, mm-hmm. like ah. in, interested in sex at an abnormally young age mm-hmm. or something. Um, Cause I also started like um, kissing my girlfriends when I was probably around the same time mm-hmm. around kindergarten. And I think I didn't realize how common that
1: is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: We've really found that out. Humping, it seems to be the most common. Well, and the early sexual explorations. Yeah. Which you know, I don't think at the time we're thinking of them as being erotic, mm-hmm. but then as we get older and we look back, we're like, oh, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. That was a thing. Is anything giving you a fuck yeah right now, Kat?
0: Yes. In in no particular order. Um, a friend of mine recently moved into a Um, like apartment complex that has a jacuzzi in it. Mm. And she kind of just like slipped me the key and said, just like, go use it whenever you want. (gasps) And it's literally three minutes from my house. So I think That is huge for you. Oh my God, there is never anybody there. And when I'm having like a really shit day, I just- like go over there by myself, slip into the jacuzzi. It's like beautiful trees all around it. And I'm telling you, it's big enough where I can kind of like do some water aerobics, like kind of like do some calisthenics in the jacuzzi. And as someone who does not like the cold weather very much, Mm -hmm. that has been like jacuzzi time is a huge fuck yeah for me.
2: It keeps your Leo fire at bay a little (laughs) bit. Yes, yes. We have, I think that we said this before we started recording, but we have two redheaded Leos here with us today, (laughs) which I mean, I don't know. The room might spontaneously combust.
0: (laughs) 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 Wouldn't that be pleasant? We'll keep it light. We'll keep it light. Can I say one of the other fuck yeahs I wrote down? Yes. um, Was that. I am a huge wine lover and I'm very lucky because um, at the cafe that I own we sell beer and wine so it's just like this uh, this great little Trick that I didn't know was going to be a part of it You know I just thought oh this is a business business Move we're going to like oh yeah sell Who doesn't want to have like a mimosa with their brunch Kind of thing but then I get to do all these Wine tastings too <laughs> and so I feel Like it's really just like expanded my Palate and I f- have a wine That is like my biggest fuck yeah Of the season and it Is called Le Claret And it's from a, a woman Winemaker ma- in the Languedoc Called uh, Catherine Bernard And it's Um, 100% Carignan, um, and it's like 50% direct press and 50% maceration for 10 days, and then aged in concrete. And it's this beautiful ruby color, and it's just like red fruit, and it's light and bright, but still a red wine. It's like almost like a rosé, but it's just it's perfect. It's perfect to sip Mm. in a jacuzzi, actually. (laughs) So
1: yes, I have a.
0: Wine has been giving me a big fuck yes. I wow.
1: don't know that I've ever heard anyone describe wine in this much detail <laughs> with this much love. Like that was that was I don't know half the words that you said, but it was it was beautiful.
2: I appreciate it. You own a restaurant called Wide Eyes Open Palms, Mm -hmm. and I've sort of been with you on your journey as you've worked in restaurants over the years. And I mean, I know that you've worked in a number of women-owned kitchens, Mm -hmm. but I think when I think of, I mean I waited tables for a long time. Actually, I think it might be have been my favorite job I've ever had. Really? But yeah, I love wow. waiting tables cuz you're on your feet and you're active all day but and you're customers. interacting with people. Oh, you like no, that? No, I I like that. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. It's like perfect mm. for me. But the kitchen is a really male dominated space just mm. even in how the culture regardless of whether you're a woman who's come into being a chef I just imagine that the patriarchy of it all permeates everything. Like, What has your experience been? I don't think we've actually really ever talked about this intentionally as a queer woman in kitchens. Yeah. I mean, first off, I think I have been really intentional
0: in in the way that I've built my career and in the jobs that I've chosen to take and, and the places I've put myself in. Um, But also I've been really lucky uh, to get to work for so many, um, you know, talented female chefs and to work in so many restaurants that were owned by women. But I mean, I think I think in the in recent years, it's been really clearly laid out in media and really well documented, uh, just like the uber toxic environment Mm. that is pretty par for the course in most restaurants. I mean, anywhere from like, you know, the first restaurant job I had was like a little natural food store cafe, you know, and then all the way to like working in, you know, like a fine dining restaurant in Los Angeles that was kind of very well known, very, very written about. Um, So I've kind of, I think, worked the gamut, but what you say is true It is definitely, even in women-owned restaurants, none of the kitchens that I worked in were, even though the restaurants were owned by women, the kitchens were still primarily um, occupied by men and the culture always felt very um, masculine. And, you know, I I was thinking about this the other day and there is something about the nature of working in a kitchen and there is something about the culture of restaurants that we as diners and proprietors have created in this country mm. that I think people have been taking a serious look at and trying to reevaluate because mm. I mean the the work is really I mean the work is always going to be really difficult but there's this certain kind of demand yeah. that we have on it right like if you if if the guest doesn't get their food in X amount of time, it's going to mean a complaint plate for them. And then mm-hmm. that's going to mean you getting your ass kicked by the management. You know, like there is mm-hmm. just something that is so, there's something about the nature of restaurants that is so naturally demanding that I kind of can understand why historically there haven't been a lot of women working in these spaces. You know, that's not to excuse the fact that there's also just a lot of bad behavior that has mm-hmm. been, kind of seen as a part of it and almost sometimes owned with pride even though mm. to actually examine it from the outside you think oh my god why would you why would you act like that or why would you do that and i think that i partially prepared myself and i think i partially accepted that i could go into these environments and i could i could work i could survive i could handle it because i really came from a lot of other subcultures that were male dominated and super toxic, like the punk scene, mm-hmm. right? I mean,
1: I was that's ask basically, you. yeah. Yeah. What
0: prepared me to be able to go in mm. and work in kitchens. I mean, when I was in high school and I was going to punk shows, uh, like it was very common that women would be called coat racks. And that mm. means like you're just basically there to hold all your boyfriend's shit mm-hmm. while they go and play music or while mm-hmm. they go in the in the mosh pit or right. whatever. And um, I think that I would definitely compare the, the culture of kitchens, you know, very much to that.
1: Did you find because I found particularly like in mosh pits and stuff like that, I felt like they were more aggressive towards me, like seeing I mean, I was like a teenage girl mm-hmm. in there and I would get specifically like pushed out or pushed down or punched, mm-hmm. you know. And um, do you feel like in the restaurants that there's like a little extra aggression towards femme people or, or is it kind of just all around shit show Gordon Ramsay kind of
2: <laughs> yelling at everybody? Like, or? Everyone's
0: going to yell that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that my experience was particular in that I did always choose to seek out jobs, mm-hmm. at least in places that were ran by women. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say that for me personally, it was the case. But I mean, especially in mosh pits, like, right? yes, yeah. I think that definitely was the case. And it's not to say that, you know, other, right. other like women haven't had that experience. I think that there was, I think that I was also so, I was already so politicized. Mm-hmm. I was already so... I was already such a hardcore feminist. I was out and queer. Mm -hmm. I was in the kink scene, which I have also been thinking about the parallels Mm -hmm. between, uh, you know, like BDSM and Mm -hmm. the dynamics of kitchens. Um, but yeah, so I think I was kind of ready for that.
2: It's interesting, like laying that foundation and then thinking about, so, um, we, when we were in the miracle whips Mm -hmm. together in our twenties, there fem performance group often labeled as burlesque we our creative process i think was really unique in that we would sit down prepare a meal and eat a mm. meal together every week Like Mm -hmm. that was Mm -hmm. like clockwork. Mm -hmm. There was no budging on that. And it didn't really matter what kind of deadline we were up against. Like that's how we wrote. That's how we worked together. And it was so, so beautiful. Mm -hmm. But your signature phrase when we were cooking was waste not want not. Mm. (laughs)
0: Like I can just yeah. hear
2: you saying it in my head and I feel like it has a lot to do with how you run your business now and how you run your kitchen and so can you say a little bit about waste not want not and what that means <laughs> to you I love that you think of this as like
0: a cat phrase because I really I, I think I'm gonna get it tattooed on me somewhere it's so yeah. true I really
1: just um I love that also a cat <laughs> phrase not just a catchphrase it's a cat <laughs> phrase (laughs)
0: Yes. I'm trying to figure out like, where did that, where did that sentiment come from for me? And I think about like, um, early days of cooking with my my grandma, Patricia, mm-hmm. my mom's mom. And I remember I was chopping celery for um, for a Thanksgiving meal. I'm pretty sure a Christmas meal or something. I was going to put it in stuffing. And I chopped off the top of the celery and like threw it in the trash. trash. And she got so angry at me. Mm. She was like, what are you doing with mm-hmm. that? And I think it's because she really, she and, and my grandfather, they both, you know, it was like Great Depression mm-hmm. time. They grew up in single parent households and this is in like you know the early 1900s when that was definitely not the some um, it wasn't something that was considered very mm-hmm. you know socially acceptable and so i think that i got instilled in me early on like that we don't waste things mm. and also i think that sentiment came from when i got politicized and in the early to like late 90s early 2000s I started, um, I became a vegetarian. I started learning about um, like the alter globalization movement, anti-globalization movement, international trade, all of these things. And I just started noticing how much waste there was. Mm. And I was so concerned about like, you know, there's always like fundraisers for, you know, like helping people who are experiencing hunger Mm -hmm. and how are we going to feed the world kind of thing, Mm -hmm. right? I feel like there was like Mm -hmm. this, Um, kind of popular cultural, um, you know, sentiment, like as I was growing up about feeding people. And I think I was really concerned as a young person, like, oh my gosh, to see people experience hunger. It was, um, it was was horrible for me. You know, I thought like, oh my gosh, how can we live in a society where this is what happens Mm -hmm. to people? How can we live in a society where there isn't enough food for people? And then I got older and I realized it's not that there's not enough food. Mm -hmm. It's about who gets the food and it's about also how much, who has the luxury to throw away perfectly good food. Mm -hmm. And I just saw such an injustice in that, that I think it made me want to make sure that I wasn't someone who was contributing to that problem, Mm -hmm. you know? And also it's so fun. (laughs) I just think, um it's, it's what nature wants us to do, right? It just like gives us abundance mm-hmm. and then you got to figure out like what to do with it. Because if you don't, you know, you have a tree full of ripe cherries and if you don't pick those things mm-hmm. in like a matter of days and figure out something to do with them, then it's literally just like compost back into the earth. Mm-hmm. You know, so I feel like it's also a principle of nature. Like the world gives us abundance and then we have to figure out how to steward it, right? How to manage it and utilize it well. But can we not move on from the Miracle Whips dinners? <laughs> <laughs> because I do like, <laughs> I like the the waste, not want, not question, but I wanted to just spend a little bit more of a moment talking about the whips and that, and that process because I feel like that as I look back, I can see that being such a, important and formative period for me and I Mm -hmm. think that the the things that we did right because it was like everyone and I think still to this day it's like everyone just bring whatever you have in your fridge Mm -hmm. right and then we're gonna figure out what to make with it because there's gonna be something to make with it yeah and it was really about the four of us bringing um our allergies and dietary restrictions mm-hmm. <laughs> and health problems yeah. and cultures and likes and techniques together. And it was such a huge period of skill building and I think creative expansion for me. And when I think about those times and the way that it created a certain cadence uh, to our creative process.
2: Mm hmm.
0: I think that all activism should have that element to it, right? Mm -hmm. Like let's all make sure that we get together and get our needs met Mm. and, and we take care of our bodies and then we can have the space to do the creative work, to do the work that we need to do in the world
2: yeah I mean, I also just think of cooking and food or at least in my relationship with it. it is creative, and it's also for me very passed down i mean my step- both my stepdad and my mom cooked, so I was really lucky. There was a lot of cooking that happened in my house. But I think of it as being something that's so passed down It's women's work, mm-hmm. right, and it's like we had that experience of we would be in the kitchen. And a lot of like our writing was about sex and identity and queerness. Mm -hmm. But so it would be like being in the kitchen, preparing food, talking about our sex lives, (laughs) drinking two buck chuck. (laughs) 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 And then, you know, that became the fodder for a lot of the you know, creative work that we did. So it was this really kind of holistic approach, where kind of like creativity and sharing and openness, it was just like baked into the whole, the whole thing, like we brought our whole selves to it, which was really cool. Do you guys have one
1: in particular that really sticks with you? One meal that you made or one dinner?
2: The thing I think of when I think of it is chopping garlic. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just feel like there was so much garlic and onion chopped in very, very, very small pieces. Because Lisan, who we had on mm-hmm. the Pleasure Herbalism episode, is like such a fine chopper. Like I think I my chopping skills greatly improved through our <laughs> cooking process. So there's always a lot of garlic, onion, and polenta. Yes
0: yes polenta I feel like that is one of my I mean corn in general is like in all of its forms is one of my favorite foods but I feel like a vari- like polenta is so great too because you can like eat it in such a great variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel, but soft polenta, that's definitely something that I would think of. Like a polenta bowl that just had like mm-hmm. a bunch of probably like some tempeh bacon and roast veggies on it yes. or something. Yeah. I also remember, and I feel like this was a whip's dinner, that we would always roast spaghetti squash yes. and then do brown butter, fried sage leaves, wow. and some sort of cheese on it. Spaghetti squash is just like the coolest vegetable like it's really is nature's gift right it's like you get to have the feeling of pasta or spaghetti but it's all a vegetable I and mean, you yes. like wow it's genius
2: <laughs> way yeah. to go nature i think we, i think we called it like lesbian california cuisine <laughs> <laughs> and that's how i would describe we op white eyes open palms is there a recipe that you think kind of embodies this waste not want not that's easy for people to do at home?
0: Yes, definitely. So one of the things that we do in the cafe is we make a uh, pesto that we use in the quinoa bowl that we have. And whenever like new folks come in to work in the kitchen, I feel like they're always very surprised that the number one thing, like the number one ingredient, like sometimes the herbs that we use in it will change, you know, with the season based on what's in abundance and what's available, but always radish greens because radishes are just such amazing little powerhouse uh, vegetables. I have grown radishes in so many different uh, soil types, containers, temperatures, seasons. I mean, they are just really, really hardy and radish greens are delicious. And I think that radishes are kind of the epitome of waste not want not Mm -hmm. because you can just eat every single part of the plant. So um, yeah, I really love to do uh, just like uh, radishes and you can just roast them in butter really simply. You can throw them in whole, um, cut off the tops and then in a food processor, you would put um, a clove of garlic, a little bit of chili flakes, The um, a a nut, if you prefer, I really think that like toasted pepitas, the Mm -hmm. pumpkin seeds go really good with the the radish greens and then just cram it full of all the radish greens and uh, add a little bit of olive oil and it makes a beautiful sauce. That's, of course, great to go on top of butter roasted radishes, but it's also really great. Um, on grilled veggies or meats, um, and good on pasta or mixed in with grains. So.
2: Mm. But, but you toast the radish greens.
0: Oh, no, the radish greens are totally raw. Yeah, okay. and you can even eat them in salads, too. I mean, the more mature ones get a little spiky, but the, like the delicate um, young ones
2: are really good in salads, too. I think the first time I had a carrot, Pesto, what you made it. And I, it like because, okay, so you get carrots at the farmer's market and you get the whole carrot. But if you get carrots at the grocery store, you often, the tops are cut off. Like people think of the tops as being an inconvenience, mm-hmm. but you can use them to make broths. You make pesto with them. Mm-hmm. Beet greens are kind of the same way, yes. where it's like people don't think to use these parts of the veggies but in fact they have all the nutrients super tasty you just have to know how to prepare
1: them so it's all these root vegetables that we're just not doing the above ground stuff like mm-hmm. we should
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah or even when you think about like peas or beans a lot of the like pea tendrils you know people just think it's like oh that's the thing it grows on and you throw it away like no those are, can definitely be edible the curly hues um,
1: the what is a tendril
0: Oh yeah, like um, the—I mean, just like the the vine that the peas grow on. Okay, yeah, those can be edible and you know, like delicious too. So yeah, I mean, oh, but beets too, beets and beet greens. That's like using those together is another one of my favorites to do as a salad or a pasta. Um, and who doesn't, I mean, it's just, beets are so amazing, right? Like the, everything turns pink. Oh, it's so delicious. Yeah.
2: Including your poop, yeah. right?
1: <laughs> be prepared, be yeah. prepared. Don't be scared, yeah. yeah.
0: But I really think you're touching on something that I've been thinking about. Is there a queer cuisine? Right. Like, is there Mm. such a thing as queer food? And like, what does it mean as a queer person? Like, how does food mean something particular to me? Because I am a part of this culture, right? Like, if we have a queer culture, do we have a queer cuisine as well?
1: I'm so interested to hear your thoughts on this, but it is making me think about. We recently had an episode where we talked about uh, the different types of attraction. Oh, yeah. And one of them being queer platonic. Yeah. And basically, the difference between like platonic and queer platonic is that there's this desire amongst queer platonic friends to create things together. Hmm. And, It makes me think of the dinners that you guys would have. Not only are you creating, you know, artistically, but you would create these meals together. And that seems like a distinctly queer thing to do. You know,
2: yeah. I mean, I think of like the thing that's coming to mind is mutual aid, which is not uniquely queer, right? I mean, that's like a big part of activist culture. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there is this element of you know, no one's going to take care of us except mm-hmm. for us, mm-hmm. and so when I think about like preparing food and sharing it with loved ones, with chosen family, is such a core thing that I love. It didn't start for me with the whips, but it was so perfectly aligned when I joined the whips because they already had this tradition going where I was like, oh, I feel so seen because I do, especially as like a femme person. Mm -hmm. So it's like my feminist, but it's also my queerness of like, really, I mean, I think of you know, friends' givings where we would get together. It's like, okay, here we are tending to each other Mm -hmm. and carrying out the tradition, but in a way that is very kind of mutual Mm aid-centered. But yeah, queer cuisine. Do you think that there's like a certain type of food that falls in this category? Or do you think it's the intention behind how it's made? Yeah, so I I think that
0: queer cuisine i think that you all have touched upon some of the things that i think i don't i don't know that there's necessarily an ingredient or a technique or you know that falls under queer cuisine but i think it is around a concept more right that i mean so many queer people don't get to have i mean what says home to me more than food right like what for me as a chef what is a greater Showing of love, affection, care, warmth, than food, you know, for me, like that is at the heart of of what what home means and what like loving and nurturing is and connection relationship, food is the ultimate opportunity to have all of these things that so many queer people may not have gotten to have in their life. and even when you do have maybe your you know blood family is like hey cool you know yay you're gay i don't know it's still like there's i think for a lot of people still an element where you don't get to bring your full self into right. that so to get to have that expression of ultimate like care and loving that is for me how i show someone i love them with my food mm-hmm. and to get to do that seeing them as the whole person that they are yeah um, with a real intimate knowledge of like we we have this shared identity right I get to see myself reflected over this loving experience mm. you know but I mm. I also like the idea that maybe there is a queer <laughs> culture of food that's just like extra fabulous yeah, yeah. <laughs> right There's like maybe a little bit too much right which my my style of cooking is very simple it's very seasonal but I think there is a like an elegance or or a beauty to it that I like to think of as coming from my queer femme identity as being an extension and expression Mm. of who I am. Um, And I also think that lesbian cuisine, that is something, a phrase that we would often use with the miracle whips, lesbian cuisine. And I saw uh, actually at the one archives, I believe they had, um they they posted on their Instagram and I took a bunch of screenshots that there was a a zine basically that was like lesbian cuisine cookbook from wow. the 70s and I guess I like hearkening back to that as kind of some of my culinary roots
2: mm, right this mm-hmm. crunchy
0: granola dyke kind of mm-hmm. you know kind of yeah. a movement where it's like get your hands in the dirt connect with mother earth and see food as something divine, mm. you know, see food as something that is intrinsically um, of value, having its own life and the ability to to give its life force and a true just gift from the mother earth. Mm. You know, I Ugh. think that sort of groundedness is, um, I don't know, that's what I want lesbian cuisine to be.
2: Anyways. you wow. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the things that come to mind are kind of like, early 90s vegetarian (laughs) you know restaurants where it was just like lots of tempeh maybe some homemade kombucha sprouts Sprouts for sure Mm -hmm. very 90s (laughs) quinoa you know wraps lots of hummus wraps Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. but when you said 70s I was like oh yeah yeah no, that's the true roots of it right there is Mm -hmm. like the second wave movement and like how that translated then to everything like the way that we eat growing our own food, those kinds of things. I mean, that was one thing I wanted to ask you because I you've been really intentional in how you built your business. You started at farmers markets and you're so like the farm to table seasonal approach is really um baked into WEOP. But it's like I think people think of farm to table and they think kind of super fancy restaurants like it's like a little snooty but that's not really the vibe of your cafe and I do feel like there's something kind of inherently queer about how you run your business like how do you think that your queerness influences that approach I mean aside from kind of some of the things that we've talked about in terms of you know gay ass food (laughs) (laughs)
0: I definitely think that there's a connection between, um, my queer identity, um, and the choice to run wide eyes, open palms the way that I do using only locally sourced seasonal produce. Um, and I think that, I think that it has to do with when we are, you know, when we grow up as queer, when we, when we grow up having to, I I didn't grow up having any sort of models of what my life could look like. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of people to look to who could say, oh yeah, you can be a queer femme chef. Mm -hmm. Oh here yeah. Here's your, here's your list of options in your life. And and that's going to be one of them for you. Mm -hmm. Actually to this day, I don't, see a community and I don't see a lot of examples of queer femme chefs. I yeah. can literally name them on my two hands, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I know a lot of, I know a lot of people I've been working in restaurants for a long time, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and I, but I think that there's something about when you grow up queer, that you're already kind of having to learn how to have some divergent thinking, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of having to already learn how to create and, and visualize and be creative with what you think you're gonna do with your one wild and precious life, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that that informs a lot of the work that happens in the kitchen, because when you make the choice to source only things from local farmers, That means that if Agatha forgot to pack that crate of avocados, you don't have avocados this week. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you can try and go get them tomorrow at a different market, but it's like a lot of choices. You have to be willing to be flexible. Mm -hmm. You have to be willing Mm -hmm. to be creative. And so I think that being queer kind of sets you up. I mean, for me, it has, I think, set me up with a brain where um, you kind of have to learn... yeah how to how to think a little be be ready for a curveball right yeah (laughs) be ready for flexibility yeah and and some resilience um and Sarah you mentioned how you know food and cooking is often in in the personal realm or in Mm -hmm. the domestic sphere considered the primary work of women Mm -hmm. but you know how many like very famous female chefs can you name right. just off the top of your head, who are who are the most famous chefs of all time? And it you're gonna see that list is full of men. Mm-hmm. You know, so um I think taking I don't know, something about making that work something that people that you know, Weop is staffed primarily by women and queer people and has, you know, always been And I think it's uh, bringing bringing women into a space and bringing queer people into a space that is the kind of work environment that we have at WEOP. And then saying that work matters Mm -hmm. and that work gets paid and that work might take longer. But I don't know. I just think it's it's important and I think there's something uniquely queer
2: about it. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is the therapy moment (laughs) in the episode. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Because... Robin, food comes up a lot. Yes. Like, I think it's really kind of baked into self-worth and we have totally opposite Opposite. relationships Mm. with it. Whereas like, maybe I do a little bit of shielding and stuffing with overindulgence and then robin does the abstinence mm-hmm. starvation mm-hmm. like very much linked to you know when we're processing stress mm-hmm. or low self-worth or these kinds of feelings like it comes out in our food consumption mm-hmm. and um like i think i have both a really positive loving relationship with food and then there's also like a shadow side to it i haven't found that perfect balance or harmony. And uh, I'm just curious, your thoughts about, you know, having a more loving, harmonious relationship with food, not just in like kind of how we source it, how we prepare it, but also just how we consume it. Yeah.
0: Well, first of all, thank you both for sharing like these two different um, kind of relationships with you have and I feel it with food and Mm -hmm. I feel like I resonate with both of them um, or at different times in my life, I think have leaned further one way or the other. Um, I grew up in a household with someone who um, had a pretty severe eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And so that colored a lot of my thinking. Um, around, around food. And, and even just, I would say my parents particularly um, were very, like I have some early childhood memories of, trying to have positive experiences around my body and being shut down mm-hmm, around that. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I started like counting calories when I was seven, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, like who, sh- why Why should a seven-year-old know how many calories are in a pickle and then think that that's a good thing to eat? Because, you know, right. like, yeah. Um, so yeah, I really think that this is, it's so it's so widespread that we as humans have had the, the natural joy and like the kind of, the, the natural pleasure that we should be able to derive from eating I think that we've really had it taken from us yeah. and it's gonna it, and I think it's a lifelong process probably for for me and I think for a lot of people to try and find um, different ways to have a relationship with food mm-hmm. and um, so for for me I think I so I ha- I have not read all of the book but uh, intuitive eating mm-hmm. is a kind of a concept it's kind of 10 principles that I've become familiar with that's really about the purpose of it is to try and become friends with your body again and try to I think food is an amazing opportunity to actually listen to your body and habit your body and see your body as the amazing like machine that it is Mm -hmm. right like this thing that is able to You know, it's all of your organs are doing all of these things automatically every moment. And we don't even often take the time to think about them. What a fucking miracle that is and how beautiful it is because we're so busy judging it and critiquing it. And I think for me, one of my, I guess, like rituals that I like to do to try and make myself feel more connected to the food that I'm eating is... You're going to be surprised. Okay, great. Go to the farmer's market. Ah! <laughs> because, but I, I don't go to the farmer's market. My partner knows this about me. I never go to a farmer's market and just start buying things. I always go to the farmer's market and I say, okay, I'm going to go do a round. And I'll <laughs> literally just walk around and just kind of touch base with all of the plants. Because guess what? Those things are going to be the things that you put in your body And then you like assimilate them and digest them. Like they literally are becoming a part of you, right? But they are their own magic. And so I kind of just like to do a do an intuitive walk basically around Uh the farmer's market, check in with the season, check in with my body and how I'm feeling. And I try not to really like talk too much. I really just try and listen to the food that is there and what it's kind of speaking to me. And then Really pick something that is just like the one thing that was really calling out to you, you know, Ooh. the one thing that you could just and then go when you when you go home or when you go back to your car mm. or whatever, have a quiet moment with that and kind of just have a moment to give gratitude to that thing and then eat it with all all of your senses, take as much time as you want to really experience it. Uh, And I always recommend when you can't eating things with your hands, even if it's something that you think you maybe shouldn't eat with your hands, Uh. (laughs) like rice or hummus or, you know, Mm. anything that seems a little messy. I think Mm. um, eating with your hands and really trying to take a a moment to ground into the food and engage all of your senses so yeah I think just like giving gratitude to the plants and trying to really take some time to to tune into your intuition
2: wow
1: never occurred to me to do any of that <laughs> hopefully you can do it it'll be fun all right <laughs> you know what it, it reminds me like I know so little about food Like I was really raised by people who hated food. I think it's part of like the kind of capitalization, like white supremacy thing where like my family's like culture just kind of got stripped away and into this kind of spam sort of space with Mm -hmm. food by the time I arrived. And just like I think my mom's second wave feminism was just that she was not entirely aware of, but was all about just like. Saying like, I'm going to go into the man's world. I don't, I don't do cooking, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and not ever like really experiencing that thing that you're talking about with the love through, through food. Um, it makes me think like if I was like at a craft store, like I go to Moscatel's or I go to Joann's or something, I can walk around and intuitively see what calls to me because mm. I know about most of this stuff and I have like a love for it and like a passion, a creative passion for it. But I, I'm like, wow, if I walked around, I'm going to try it. I would love it if something intuitively called towards me. <laughs> But literally like half the time I'm like, I don't know what that fucking is, you know, like, but maybe if it called to me, but I love this using it as a way to like ground yourself because of course it's all these living creatures that we're bringing into our own bodies and continuing our magical life with. I mean, it's very special thing to do, but for like 44 years it, that hasn't occurred to me. Mm. So thank you for that.
0: Yeah, a lot of us I think. Well, number 1 I think like being white people in the United mm-hmm. States. Yeah, like I the culture of the culinary culture that I came from was casseroles. Right. You know, with like cornflakes on top of yes. them, frozen hash browns mixed with pre-grated cheese. Um, I think my mom also was so busy raising four children. She I think she maybe didn't particularly ever like cooking very much mm-hmm. But also she just like Was feeling stressed And didn't have a lot of time mm-hmm. But also like as far as um, Just having kind of A cultural heritage To lean on right yeah. Like to actually feel like You're someone who has A food like history. Yeah. Um, the so passing I've,
1: down of the recipes yeah. like did not happen. Yeah. I've yeah. been
0: doing some like reading and some looking into Scottish cuisine because mm-hmm. it's actually having a really great Renaissance right now. There's a lot of amazing restaurants that have opened up and yeah. So just even like kind of something that could, I think be a fun exercises if you do know about, you know, anything about your heritage. Mm-hmm. Like I know that, I mean, my last name is McIver, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm pretty Scottish um, that that has been really enriching for me. recently yeah. too.
1: Do I really want to look to England and Germany though <laughs> I for mean, my you might be It's a lot of you sausages, a nice
0: <laughs> you know. Mm.
1: <laughs> a little white um, sausage. I have to
0: say, also, um, I feel like when you are looking to get into a better relationship with food and tune into your body more, I just want to like assure people that there is so much goodness there mm. because one of my and, and there's a lot of fear and there's a lot to overcome, but if you can um, get to the other side of that. I mean, one of my favorite moments is when I just get to make, like, there's been many times in my life where I will cook a meal for myself Mm. and take it, take it slow, keep it really internal. And literally it moves me to tears. Wow! Like it's, it's such a, um, there's a lot there. There's a lot of power there. So my favorite thing is basically to like cry in my food
1: wow. <laughs> I mean, do if food. it's that good <laughs> that's how you salt it Yeah,
2: <laughs> with
1: your tears <laughs> salted with fresh tears
2: as we were talking I realized I, we have been doing affirmations for guests but I felt called to go grab my dirt gems mm-hmm. deck for mm-hmm. your uh, gift for spending this time yeah. with us and maybe this will be the new. Yeah. thing that we do um, and so I pulled elder mm. Mm. Uh, so you know take what you want leave the rest <laughs> elder symbolizes the ancestor elder we know this word we look to this figure for guidance elder is a crone plant elder is sweet but rigid elder will not accept less than your whole striving full self (laughs) elder will not be tolerant of your beliefs about your own shortcomings (laughs) elder guides and opens elder is patient but not soft Mm. so that is our Mm. uh plant gift Mm. to you thank thank you you so much for spending this time with us it was wonderful thank you so much thanks for having me (laughs) So Robin, how was that for you? I feel like there were definitely some moments of new information or like a new way of thinking about food that Kat was introducing.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that part of walking around the farmer's market, I mean, that made me uncomfortable. (laughs) What about
2: it made you uncomfortable?
1: Oh, that made me uncomfortable in that like I was instantly able to relate to what she was talking about. Like I said, with the craft store, like I could... Mm feel that kind of vibe from that kind of place, you know, like I go to Moscatels in downtown or the Fabric District or whatever, and it's just like, inspire me, you know. But the idea of doing that with food is so foreign. And I associate food shopping or just food prep, and eating food with such chore-like stuff. And so it's really, it's interesting how, how you and, and Kat approach it. I'm trying, I'm trying so much to like be more full-bodied experienced and I would love to experience more of that with food, but it's like, it's a little threatening and scary because also I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like I go to the farmer's market and I'm like, I don't know. Oh, strawberries. I know what that is.
2: You know? I think that that's why actually the intuitive exercise would be. (laughs) even better for you because when she when she was describing that I was like oh I am the exact opposite at the farmer's market Mm I am like I love I get so much out of seeing all the produce and just the bounty really fills me up but I'm hyper efficient you're a list person right well yeah I know what I need yeah and, like, I love that when I go to the farmer's market, I can also get those extras and I can get what I need in its most beautiful form. Yeah. But I'm sort of in and out. And I love when, you know, we moved into this neighborhood, there's a really great farmer's market down the street on Sundays. And learning the new farmer's market is hard for me because I'm like, I don't know where my vendors are and I can't be efficient. And so I'm having to just take a different approach, which actually the intuitive exercise would be good for this new farmer's market because I might be able to turn my list brain off a little Mm -hmm. bit. But I actually think you'd be great at this exercise. Because who cares what it is, right? Just actually see what calls to you.
1: Yeah, I think there's that. But there's also like the not knowing then what to do with it. And then I have this thing mm-hmm. that can spoil. And I I really heard that waste not want not because I have so much fruit falling off my trees. I felt real bad when she was talking about the cherries and how you have to pick them at just the right time. I mean, I have so many tangerines hitting the ground right now. I'm trying to get them out to people, you know, but um That kind of hit home for me, and I just wouldn't know exactly what to do with it. It's making me think about the um Eli, the gender doula that we had on. I kind of would love if someone creates the job of a food doula who could guide me. Like, I would love to show up intuitively, and then somebody could show me like what I actually do with this, or even how to enjoy it. You know, just learning a lot of new things that I never learned like a normal person. How, how do you enjoy cooking? I mean, I got to get to that. I would like to get to that spot.
2: Oh my gosh. You know, it's so funny because my birthday is coming up and I was really trying to think I'm actually going to work for the first time ever on my birthday. I'm going to go. Yeah, I, I don't work on my birthday. Oh, wow. is like, it is like a sacred yeah. I mean probably in my twenties or something I did because yeah. I didn't have a choice around it. But if I have a choice around it, I don't work on my birthday. So my birthday weekend, I was like, all I want to do is cook. Wow. And eat and play games and have people over just to be like holiday vibes, yeah. you know, just to be cooking with me. So I feel like maybe you should come and partake that. and do some cooking with me. Cause I love it so much. Yeah.
1: I would love to see that in action.
2: I was struck when you mentioned your mom and how a rejection of cooking was probably linked to her feminism. Mm-hmm. And that really hit home For me, that wasn't my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was like, oh, that makes so much sense to kind of cut off. But it is sort of capitalistic, also, Mm -hmm. in a way, right? Of I need to exist in society as an equal to men, which means going to work and earning and laboring. And I'm going to cut my connection off to food because that is. Where women are typically relegated. And so, not to have sort of any vocabulary around it, because that was part of your mom's journey of, you know, feeling empowered. Yeah. And it's so
1: second wave. And, you know, God love the second wave for, you know, the movement that they made and everything. But as you're saying that, I'm really recognizing how she really was being a dad. It's kind of like I had a single dad in the, you know, you know mm-hmm. stereotypical gender roles and everything where, you know, she would be at work, she might have to stay late at work and everything. She had a housekeeper and she would bring home dinner or whatever, but she, it was never about the cooking or cleaning or taking pride in any of that. or mm-hmm. So I think she really was trying to do that role and that was her way of liberating herself, which was some of what
2: just people had, what she had access to, you know? Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense and i feel grounded mm. in things like cooking yeah cleaning the house i mean i like having some help with it too but it is um it's a grounding exercise for me i do think of it as being connected to my femininity mm. and a part of my femininity that i've really embraced and enjoy yeah and i can see having a totally different relationship to it but i think that that's also part of this connection this like long standing connection that Kat and I have had with each other is mm-hmm. that the food of it all is connected to our feminists mm-hmm.
1: yeah, in a definitely. lot of
2: ways. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's interesting okay. how we can have such different relationships to these daily parts of our lives. hundred
1: percent. I mean, even you just saying like it's connected to my femininity. I have this like just really compulsive part of me. That's like, no, uh, uh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even have the words for for like what I'm rejecting, but it's just like, but it's really has to do with my upbringing, and I'm really trying to find like my more feminine, more grounded part. I don't know if it's in there.
2: Oh <laughs> 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 uh, well, this was a. I really enjoyed this episode. I know that it is. You know, it's not totally integrated with our sexuality conversations. I mean, for me, I think in my life, it, it is a little bit more integrated, but this was really, this was a very nourishing conversation for me. So well, it's kind of I a whole body type of approach yeah. I think that we're going for.
1: And next week is going to get real sexy again.
2: What are we doing next oh, week? Oh,
1: well, we went to the Adult Novelty Expo, and I went around and interviewed people while you worked, <laughs> um, but it was super fun, and I I realized I hadn't been there in so long, but we'll get into it uh, next week, but it was so nice to see everybody, and really, the, there's nothing like the sex toy industry, so stay tuned if you want more hot, hot sex toy talk. <laughs>
2: Yeah, we're going to talk all about sex toys, all the latest, greatest, the newest, and the classics too. So that's, I think it's gonna be really fun. Yeah. And the personalities behind these toys, because there are some big Mm -hmm. personalities and it comes through
1: right away. I forgot how wonderful these people are in the toy industry. So it's a special
2: breed that brings you to that industry. And uh, until next week, find us on Instagram and TikTok at fuckyapod. You could send us an email at fyapod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you and hope you all have a good week. Fuck Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah.
1: Fuck Yeah! Podcast is hosted and produced by Robin Jennings and Sarah Tomchessen, a.k.a. my mom. Theme music is by She, Her, Sir. Segments are voiced by Kristen Smith Davis. If you're enjoying the pod, please subscribe and leave us a rating or review. And don't forget to share with a friend! You can email us at fyapod at gmail.com or follow us on TikTok or Instagram at fuckyapod. Thanks for tuning in.